Hello and welcome to episode 496 of the Our Lady of Fatima podcast. It is my pleasure to be with you today. My name is Terrence M. Stanton. We are recording on Easter Monday, April 12th, 2023, in the year of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let us begin with the Monday prayer to the Most Blessed Virgin Mary to obtain holy perseverance by St. Alphonsus Liguri. O Queen of Heaven, I, who was once a miserable slave, of Lucifer, now dedicate myself to thee to be thy servant forever. I offer myself to honor thee and serve thee during my whole life. Do thou accept me and refuse me not as I should deserve. O my mother, in thee have I placed all my hopes. From thee do I expect every grace. I bless and thank God, who in his mercy has given me this confidence in thee, which I consider a pledge of my salvation. Alas, miserable wretch that I am, I have hitherto fallen, because I have not had recourse to thee. I now hope that through the merits of Jesus Christ and thy prayers, I have obtained pardon. But I may again lose divine grace. The danger is not past. My enemies do not sleep. How many new temptations have I still to conquer? Ah, my most sweet lady, protect me and permit me not again to become their slave. Help me at all times. I know that thou wilt help me and that with thy help I shall conquer if I recommend myself to thee. But this is what I fear. I fear that in time of danger I may neglect to call upon thee and thus be lost. I ask thee then for this grace. Obtain that in the assaults of hell I may always have recourse to thee, saying, Mary, help me. My mother, permit me not to lose my God. Act of Consecration O Lord Jesus, we believe most firmly in thee. We love thee. Thou art the eternal Son of God and the Son incarnate of the Blessed Virgin Mary. Thou art the Lord and absolute ruler of all creation. We acknowledge thee, therefore, as universal sovereign of all creatures. Thou art the Lord and supreme ruler of all mankind, and we, in acknowledging this, thy dominion, consecrate ourselves to thee now and forever. Loving Jesus, we place our family under the protection of thy holy face and of thy virgin mother, Mary, most sorrowful. We promise to be faithful to thee for the rest of our lives and to observe with fidelity thy holy commandments. We will never deny before men thee and thy divine rights over us and all mankind. Grant us the grace to never sin again. Nevertheless, should we fail, O divine Savior, have mercy on us and restore us to thy grace. Radiate that divine countenance upon us and bless us now and forever. Embrace us at the hour of death in thy kingdom for all eternity. Through the intercession of thy blessed mother, of all thy saints who behold thee in heaven, and the just who glorify thee on earth. O Jesus, be mindful of us forever and never forsake us. Protect our family. O mother of sorrows, by the eternal glory which thou enjoyest in heaven, through the merits of thy bitter anguish in the sacred passion of thy beloved Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, obtain for us the grace that the precious blood of Jesus, that the precious blood shed by Jesus for the redemption of our souls, be not for us in vain. We love thee, O Mary. Embrace us and bless us, O Mother. Protect us in life and in death. Amen. Gloria Patri et Filio et Spiritui Sancto, Sicut erat in principio et nunc et semper, et in secula seculorum. Amen. Friends, today we are going to begin a study on the traditional Latin Mass. And where better to go than the wonderful Fish Eaters website located at fisheaters.com. And this is entitled Introduction to the traditional Latin Mass. Begins with a few quotes, the first from Dom Dom Prosper Gueringer, Liturgical Institutions, 1840. We must admit it is a master blow of Protestantism to have declared war on the sacred language. 
If it should ever succeed in destroying it, it would be well on the way to victory. Exposed to profane gaze like a virgin who has been violated, from that moment on, the liturgy has lost much of its sacred character. And very soon people find that it is not worthwhile putting aside one's work or pleasure in order to go and listen to what is being said in the way one speaks on the marketplace. And that was written in 1840, friends. So already we're seeing modernism creep in. The next quote, it is now theologically possible for Protestants to use the same mass as Catholics. Max Thurian, Protestant theologian on the new mass, 1969. At this critical juncture, the traditional Roman rite, more than 1,000 years old, has been destroyed. Monsignor Gamber, considered to be the greatest liturgist of the 20th century. Let those who, like myself, have known and sung a Latin Gregorian high mass remember it if they can. Let them compare it with the mass that we now have. Not only the words, the melodies, and some of the gestures are different. To tell the truth, it is a different liturgy of the mass. This needs to be said without ambiguity. The Roman rite as we knew it no longer exists. Father Joseph Jeleno. When going to Mass today, Latin Catholics generally have five options. One, attend the Vernacular Novus Ordo published in 1970 by Pope Paul VI. This is the Mass offered in most parishes today. Two, attend the very rarely offered 1970 Novus Ordo Mass offered in the Latin language. Note, this is not the same Mass that was offered before Vatican II. Three, attend Mass at a non-Latin ritual Catholic church, Byzantine, Greek, Maronite, etc., Four, attend the hard-to-find masses offered by certain religious orders who have their own rites, for example, the Dominican rite, the Carmelite rite, the rite of the Holy Sepulchre, etc. Five, attend the traditional Latin mass that sustained millions of Roman Catholics for centuries and centuries. The traditional Latin mass, TLM, is also referred to as the mass of Pope St. Peter, the mass of Pope St. Gregory the Great, the mass of Pope St. Pius V, the Tridentine mass, the Pian Rite, the Vitus Ordo, V-O, and now commonly the Extraordinary Form, E-F. Contrary to popular belief, and in spite of the wishes of progressive types, the traditional Mass has not disappeared. It is offered by various priestly fraternities, such as the Priestly Fraternity of St. Peter, FSSP, the Institute of Christ the King, ICK, the Society of St. Pius X, SSPX, etc. And since the 1988 Motu Proprio Ecclesia Dei by parish priests, according to the 2007 Motu Proprio Sumorum Pontificum. This has changed in some dioceses due to Pope Francis's Motu Proprio Traditionis Custodes, which has as its purpose eradicating the traditional Mass altogether. In this section, I focus solely on the traditional Latin Mass based on the Missal of 1962 which is used by most traditional priests, including the FSSP and the SSPX. After much study, I've come to the conclusion that, validity issues aside, the Novus Ordo Mass is tragically flawed, something my instincts and common sense have told me since I was a child. The very name of this Mass, Novus Ordo, i.e. New Order, should make anyone with a true Catholic nature cringe, and its effects are so incredibly sad, it almost hurts to think about it. The Novus Ordo, whether offered in English or Latin, whether offered reverently or with severe abuses, is a violent break with tradition, directly responsible in part for the great loss of faith which followed its publication. Lex credendi legum statuit supplicendi, let the rule of belief determine the rule of prayer, is the rule of liturgy. 
but the Novus Ordo, designed to make Protestants comfortable with the Mass, expresses Protestant belief not by what it is, but by what it fails to be. That is, by its omissions. It leads us to believe, as Protestants, in that it practically nullifies the experience of the realities of the sacrifice and the priesthood. The Novus Ordo, not so much for what it is inherently, but for what it isn't, for what it lacks, appears as the Mass of Cain, arrogantly bringing his own works to God. The ancient Mass is the Mass of Abel, who humbly offered God a sacrifice, a lamb that prefigured the Passover lamb, which in turn prefigured the lamb who takes away the sins of the world, whose offering of himself to us is eternal. The stripping away of the signs and symbols of the mystery, the eradication of the poetic, the blurring of the line between the ordained and common priesthoods, music that typically ranges from the banal to the offensive, the ignoring of Gregorian chant, the failure to retain our sacred language, the, quote, busyness, the dearth of silence, and most of all, the almost total lack of emphasis on the sacrifice to not be offended by these things, having studied the purpose of the Mass and our worship's relationship to our belief, is to be either ignorant of or ill-willed toward the Catholic faith. Please know that I say this without any intention whatsoever to impugn the motives or holiness of those who haven't studied these issues. Further problems with the Novus Ordo are the International Committee on English in the liturgies, I-C-E-L, translations of the text, its failure to conform itself with Vatican II and Council of Trent documents, and the fact that its own pale rubrics are so often abused. The lectionary has been stripped of mention of sin, miracles, the demonic, or anything that offends Jewish people. See this PDF and it's given, gutting the Gospels, and be shocked at what's been torn away from our liturgy. Just one example. The words of 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-seven through 29. Therefore, whosoever shall eat this bread or drink the chalice of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and of the blood of the Lord. But let a man prove himself. And so let him eat of that bread and drink of the chalice. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh judgment to himself, not discerning the body of the Lord. Our words heard three different times throughout the year and the traditional liturgy, but they've been stripped away entirely from the Novus Ordo, gone. Abuses not inherent in the 1970 Missal, but which predominate thanks to the, quote, spirit of Vatican II, the use of altar girls, which destroys priestly vocations, not kneeling to receive the Eucharist, lay people taking the Blessed Sacrament in their hands, lay people, usually women, swarming the sanctuary, in perfect imitation of Korah, see Jude 111 and number 16. There is no defense for these practices, none, but they are so prevalent as to be almost universal. Even celebrated according to its rubrics, and God bless those few well-intentioned priests who even try to do that, the new mass is a Protestantized, not Protestant, service, quote-unquote, up to its core, with an abbreviated Kyrie thrown in. Even with the few words retained in the consecration to keep it valid, its semblance to the ancient mass is like that of a dry twig to a flowering tree. What the modernists, may God have mercy on them, have done to the church is the liturgical equivalent of whitewashing the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel. And this has happened with all of the sacramental rites, from baptism to unction. Each Catholic must study this issue prayerfully. 
And each must know that believing, knowing that the 1970 mass was an extremely bad idea, a break with sacred tradition, an unlovely thing that leads to heterodoxy and disbelief, is not disobedient and does not make you a bad Catholic. It makes you an informed one with eyes to see. Saying these things aloud does not make you dissident or schismatic. It makes you a warrior for the true faith. Now, I can imagine a dialogue with some of you who are new to the concept of liturgy and many who have been Catholic for years but really like or at least not bothered by the Novus Ordo Mass. What's the big deal? The big deal is that Jesus Christ glorified becomes really and truly present at the Mass, body, blood, soul, and divinity, under the appearances of bread and wine, in fulfillment of all the Old Testament sacrifices and as predicted by the prophet Malachias. The Annunciation is made present again when the Holy Ghost comes upon the gifts of bread and wine, bringing Christ to us in the flesh, just as he came to us in the flesh in Mary's womb. The crucifixion is represented as he is offered up to appease the Father's wrath at our sins and for the remission of those sins. Calvary is made present before our eyes. You either believe this and are Catholic, or you do not believe this and are not Catholic. If you believe this and are Catholic, you will want everyone else to believe this too. You should therefore want liturgy that points to the reality of these mysteries in every way possible and should be extremely bothered by liturgy that is banal ugly, sterile, offensive, and that may as well have been designed to lead to heterodoxy. Think those words are too harsh? This is what Cardinal Joseph Ratzinger, who was to become Pope Benedict XVI, said about the new Mass. The liturgical reform in its concrete realization has distanced itself even more from its origin. The result has been a reanimation, has, been, has not been a reanimation, but devastation in place of the liturgy, fruit of a continual development, they have placed a fabricated liturgy. They have deserted a vital process of growth and becoming in order to substitute a fabrication. They did not want to continue the development, the organic maturing of something living through the centuries, and they replaced it in the manner of technical production by a fabrication, a banal product of the moment. The most holy sacrifice of the Mass is our greatest prayer to God and our most solemn act of worship. Shouldn't we give him our very best? Please read an open letter to the church renouncing my service on ICEL by Father Stephen Somerville, STL, who worked with the ICEL, the committee that translated the Novus Ordo Mass into English, and a hyperlink is given. The next comment in this supposed hypothetical conversation, I should say, we shouldn't get hung up on this religious stuff. Was God hung up on religious stuff when he commanded the ancient Israelites to take a male lamb without blemish, not a female one or one with blemishes, one-year-old, not two, and to kill it on the 14th day of that month, not the 15th day of the next month, in the evening, not the afternoon? Was our Lord hung up on religious stuff when he kept the Old Testament feasts or demanded that his father's house be kept holy? Was he hung up on religious stuff when he told his disciples to do what the Pharisees told them because they sat on the chair of Moses? Was Jude hung up on religious stuff when he admonished those who followed in Korah's footsteps? Those who believe that religion is unimportant because we are under grace and not the law seem not to understand that the sacraments are media of grace. 
Balking about religious stuff as though it's sheer silliness is to betray ignorance about the nature of man. Look around and see all the religious stuff in every culture of the world. This is so for a reason. The question is, which religious stuff is true? Which religious stuff honors well the true God? Which religious stuff serves the needs of human nature? Christ founded a church, and for almost 2,000 years, her liturgy developed in a manner meant to preserve tradition, dignity, beauty, and deep Catholic truths. This was veritably undone a mere half century ago, and the evidence is in the percentage of Catholics who don't know the faith, the closing parishes, the dwindling priestly vocations, etc. So what? Are you saying the Mass can never change, has never changed? Of course the Mass can change in some ways, but the words of consecration, its expressed theology and catechetical qualities, its sacred purposes, its holiness, its beauty, and its, and its pointing towards the transcendent, these things cannot be changed without danger. When the Mass has changed in the past, it was done in keeping with tradition, the Mass's sacred purposes and the purpose of expressing sound Catholic teaching. This is the key. What was done post-Vatican II was not a facelift. It was a head transplant, and the patient woke up almost Protestant. The millions of Catholics who've left the church, the horrible state of the faith, the scandals, and the crisis of Catholic culture are evidence that the Novus Ordo Mise has failed to teach and inspire Catholics. But I really like the sound of guitars at Mass. And the Protestant song, Shine, Jesus, Shine, really makes me happy. Buy CDs. You can listen to them after the Most Holy Sacrifice of the Mass. What's the matter with being upbeat and happy and joyful and stuff? Not a thing. We are called to be joyful. But if you think that glee is the appropriate attitude while standing at the foot of the cross, I think there might be a little something wrong with your wiring. If you don't understand what I mean here, then trust me, my friend. With all due respect, you don't understand what the Mass is. I beg you to consider that possibility and study this. Really, do you think Our Lady and St. John were standing at the foot of the cross singing anything like Shine, Jesus, Shine, or dancing or waving their arms in joy? Even if the Mass were only a memorial of the Last Supper as in the Protestant way, what's the mood of a Jewish Seder anyway? Are they bebopping all over the place and raising the roof? Or are they somberly, with gratitude and humility, re-experiencing their deliverance? Even if the Mass were a mere memorial of Calvary, would you commemorate the sacrifice of anyone or anything else by bringing out the rock and roll and having a party? Have we lost all sense of majesty, awe, thanksgiving, gratitude, and duty? But he is risen. Amen and alleluia. But we are not. We have work to do. And Christ, the high priest and perfect victim, appearing to St. John in heaven as a lamb as it had been slain, pours out the graces of his once and for all time sacrifice to us in the Mass so we might be sanctified, something we must become in order to have our own little Easter. We get to the resurrection through the cross. It must be always remembered that it isn't Christ's resurrection that saves us in itself, by itself, it was the shedding of his blood on the cross that led to his resurrection. His having shed his blood is what remits our sins and is what will allow us to experience the fruits thereof. 
our own resurrection. Our awareness of the glorious fact of his resurrection is ever present. It is the very reason we worship on Sundays. But that joy is tempered by the sacrifice and by the knowledge that while he is risen, he pours himself out to us yet. And we still have our own Calvary to go through. Well, who the heck are you? You like the traditional mass. I like the new mass. Why should your opinion matter more than mine? My opinion doesn't matter more than yours per se. Neither of our opinions are what matters because the mass isn't a matter of opinion or preference. The mass is not about me or you. It is about the worship of Almighty God. And the way it is supposed to be done has been shown to us by the apostles, fathers, and saints over the course of 2,000 years. We can no more treat it as a plaything than we can sacred scripture. The mass isn't a coffee flavor or a new fall TV show one either prefers or not. It's not a performance in which creativity and getting the audience's attention matter. To paraphrase the talking heads, it ain't no party, it ain't no disco, it ain't no fooling around. And it's not, despite popular jargon, a mere meal where we all gather to admire ourselves, ponder the mystery of man, and bond over a snack the priest crossed out, Eucharistic minister hands us. It is a matter of divine realities, Christ's very sacrifice. And very importantly, aside from the sacrifice itself, the Mass has distinct purposes which are either fulfilled or not. It either feeds the faith or it destroys the faith through either negligence or positively dangerous changes. That so many, quote, Catholics are about as Catholic as Calvin, Zwingli, or your neighborhood Wiccan is proof enough for me that the new Mass does too little to feed the faith. And it's no great shock considering that Jean Guitton, close friend of Paul VI, said, the intention of Paul VI with regard to what is commonly called the Mass was to reform the Catholic liturgy in such a way that it should almost coincide with the Protestant liturgy. There was with Pope Paul VI an ecumenical intention to remove or at least to correct or at least to relax what was too Catholic in the traditional sense in the Mass. And I repeat, to get the Catholic Mass closer to the Calvinist Mass. The next statement is, but I don't speak Latin. How can I understand what's going on? Quite frankly, you don't have to intellectually understand the minutiae of the Mass, though this is of tremendous subjective benefit and is absolutely encouraged. One doesn't need to understand every word of Latin to offer his own heart to Jesus, to pray, to understand the basic purpose of the Mass, and kneel in awe and humility as the sacrifice takes place. As to understanding what's going on, consider that now, since the institution of Bugnini's Mass, 70% of Catholics between the ages of 18 and 44 do not believe in the real presence. That is, they are material heretics. Can you honestly say that the Novus Ordo Mass increases understanding of what the Mass is? As to not speaking Latin, neither do I, and neither did most Catholics who attended the traditional Mass throughout its history, including many of the great saints. But that's what they make missiles for. And after a while, one can recognize and easily understand those parts of the Mass that do not change. You've heard the expression hasta la vista enough times to know what it means, right? I'm sure you know what merci, la vida loca, and je ne sais quoi mean too, eh? Then you can come to know what deo gratias and per omnia secula seculorum mean too, just as have millions of Catholics before you. Consider millions of Muslims can figure out how to pray in Arabic, even if they are not native Arabic speakers. Jews from the Midwest, USA, managed to pray in Hebrew, even though English is the language they grew up with. 
their young boys even learn to pray in Hebrew at a very young age when they go through their bar mitzvahs. Our Lord himself prayed in Hebrew, even though Aramaic was his family language. Greek was the lingua franca of the area, and Latin was the official tongue. Hebrew may well have been, outside of Jewish liturgy, a dead or dying language. Hindus all over the world have the intelligence to handle prayer in Sanskrit. Are we Christians too stupid to figure out a little Latin? Besides, and this is the greater point, not all understanding comes from hearing language. It also comes from silence and prayer and beauty and sign and gesture from the other things one hears, chant and bells, and from what one sees, stained glass, statues, beautiful vestments, and smells, incense, and experiences, majesty. All of these things teach us and impress themselves onto our minds in a way that words alone can't. Recall how Proust wrote that one taste of a tea-soaked madeleine brought forth a rush of associations, which, taking their proper shapes and growing solid, sprang into being, all from his cup of tea. Read a short excerpt from the relevant scene in The Remembrance of Things Past, and a hyperlink is given. In the same way, incense and bells and silence can affect the Catholic. Imagine two married couples. Couple one, they never say in words that they love each other, but he brings her bouquets of lilies, he touches her lovingly, and for no other purpose than to make her feel cherished, he listens to her and looks deep into her eyes when he talks to her. His respectful protectiveness of her shows in every gesture. She bakes his favorite muffins every Saturday evening for breakfast the next day. She kisses his receding hairline and calls it beautiful. She signs XO at the bottom of grocery list she gives to him. She brings him coffee in bed every morning and wakens him gently with a warm smile. Couple number two. They say they love each other and, well, that's about it. Both marriages are, quote, valid. They each have a license. But which couple leads you to believe that a marriage exists? Which couple would you want your children to see as an example of what marriage should be? Which couple makes a mockery out of marriage? Which couple teaches you what marriage is? And which couple has the potential to destroy the concept of marriage in your mind? Which couple inspires you? And which couple leaves you feeling empty? Couple one is to couple two what the traditional mass is to the Novus Ordo liturgy, except that the traditional mass has the language too a much richer language that makes no bones about things like the sacrifice, sin, contrition, etc. The language is just in Latin, so we use missiles or learn the language. In addition to the importance and catechetical value of those right-brained elements, as it were, the use of Latin assures unity in a way that the sole use of the vernacular cannot. As things are, the English Catholic traveling to Italy or Brazil or Korea would be lost during the liturgy. Back in the day, a Catholic could travel anywhere in the world and hear the exact same mass he would have heard at home, and his missal would have been good anywhere. Now we have in a single parish an English mass at nine and a Spanish mass at ten, with the English-speaking Catholics and Spanish-speaking Catholics fighting over the best mass times and saying not a word to each other in between. All this diversity is nothing but divisive. Latin unifies us all. Hispanic, Anglo, African, Asian into one people worshiping God in the same way, the way of our ancestors. Another analogy for those who've seen Mel Gibson's The Passion of the Christ, did the fact that the movie was in Aramaic and Latin take anything away from the experience of it? Or did it, on the other hand, add richly to the experience? Could the movie have possibly been experienced in the same way if Jesus had spoken in the standard movie Jesus English with a British accent? 
That movie, as I write, is being shown all over the world. France, England, Brazil, the United States. And each moviegoer experiences the exact same film in the same way, just as traditional Catholics from all over the world experience the Mass in the same way. The only difference is in the subtitles, which are the equivalent of the translation of the Mass's Latin found in our missals. If a Novus Ordo-oriented person had directed that movie, Jesus would have spoken English with an American accent to be dubbed into local dialects for other countries. It would have thrown in slang and have been shot in rich amber hues with deep Caravaggio-esque shadows, but on a stripped-down soundstage with bare walls. The Jews would have been nowhere in sight unless they were pleading for his release or somehow shown as victims in the entire spectacle. There would have been no brutal crucifixion, but maybe one slap across his face a bloodless nailing to the cross and a rapid death for political causes, of course, all followed by a resurrection and images of people, some of them noticeably active lesbian couples, holding hands and singing vapid, happy songs. Wow, if anything would not lead one to examine one's conscience and desire to appease the father for one's sins, that would be it. The smallest of rubrics in the traditional mass all point to the sacred. The priest facing east toward the tabernacle signals that he is worshiping God with us and for us. In the Novus Ordo, whether or not it is through the actual rubrics or how it is almost always done, the priest faces us, forcing him into a show business mentality and worst of all, putting him in the position of literally turning his back to God in the tabernacle. Our focus is not on the transcendent, but on the priest himself. His face, his mood, his banter, his jokes. It's that focus on priest personalities that's helped lead to such incredibly irreverent phenomena, like priests processing to the altar on hoverboards, priests wearing clown makeup, priests doing Elvis impersonations, and so on. The traditional priest keeping his fingers joined after the consecration of the host so that even the tiniest particle could be lost, Contrast that with extraordinary Eucharistic ministers or extraordinary ministers of Holy Communion, lay people, usually women, dressed in anything they may have thrown on that morning, handling the Blessed Sacrament with their unconsecrated hands and placing it in your unconsecrated hands. What a radically different attitude toward the most profound mystery of the Eucharist. Is it any wonder at all that Catholics of 100 years ago believed in the real presence while those of today don't. And then several videos are given of all the horrible abuses that go on in the Novus Ordo. Aren't you a little tired of the nonsense? The next uh, comment is put up as follows. Using the old missile is a step backwards. We must move forward. We can't go back in time. And traditionalist longing for the old mass is mere nostalgia. Get over it and get with the times. Sure, the Novus Ordo is sometimes sloppily celebrated, but there's no real difference between the old mass and the new. What we need is a reform of the reform, not a leap backwards. A reform of the reform, eh? Why would you waste time trying to fix up a rusted out Pinto when you have a polished, classic, perfectly running Ferrari in the garage? And why would you do that when the situation is urgent? Souls are at stake. Now, first, the alleged reform was not a reform at all. It was a destructive, revolutionary exercise in politically correct ecumenism, an experiment that resulted in a tragic loss of faith. Why should one use that as a starting point for the Mass of the future? Second, those who see no real difference between the Novus Ordo Mass and the ancient Mass are like the personages of Hilaire Belloc's youth 
who insisted that a diamond is the same thing as a lump of coal. They can point to the Novus Ordo's short curiae, the canon, the changed words of consecration, etc., and say that because these elements are there, it is the same as the ancient mass. But this sort of thinking makes me wonder if those same people would buy their wives' rings encrusted with coal, because both diamonds and coal are made of carbon. Belloc would say these people have lost their power to know an oak tree when they see one, without having to examine every leaf. In short, he'd say they've lost their powers of integration. Finally, on a practical level, even if the Novus Ordo were worth salvaging, how could you possibly reform the reform in any sense that even a moderately Orthodox Catholic would mean by the word reform, when so many of our hierarchs are so liberal? Would you leave this reform of the reform in the hands of a Cardinal Casper, a Weakland, a Mahoney, a Pope Francis? What sort of working groups and dialogues would have to take place to please all the political elements in the human element of the church in getting the mass just right for them? And how would each country's bishops handle all the hundreds of vernacular translations? What further committees and working groups would have to be thrown together to manage all that and all the rubrics? Stand, kneel, when? Isn't there enough confusion? We have a mass that has worked for two millennia, a mass that is the product of apostolic tradition and the greatest popes and doctors who've ever lived, a mass that perfectly reflects Catholic theology. Why not use it and fight for it? But the Latin Mass is so long. Can you not watch one hour with me? Yes, the traditional High Mass is longer than the Novus Ordo Mass. But don't think of it that way. Think of it as the amount of time it takes to watch a few episodes of Friends. Look, a microwave McMass isn't healthy. You really need to slow down and eat something substantial. Take some time. Shh, quiet yourself. Breathe in the sounds of bells that call you here and the stillness between the chimes. Contemplate. Don't you know why you've been summoned? It is the Lord's day. Christus resurrects it. And a miracle will occur again at the altar when the bread and wine become the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Christ. The pure offering as predicted by Malachias in chapter 1, verses 10 and 11. Has the Our Father ever sounded so beautiful as when it is chanted in the same ancient melody heard by Saints Augustine and Thomas, Catherine and Joan? Made our brothers and sisters by the very sacrifice which will be represented today? Pray for his coming. Offer your life to him, your joys, your sorrows, your suffering. Give yourself to him as he gave himself to you at Calvary and gives himself to you now in the Eucharist. Look at the crucifix above the altar and behold the lamb who appears as it had been slain. He pours out his life for you now and ever and unto ages of ages. Kneel when you receive him and tell me if it doesn't feel right and more importantly is not right. Savor the sweetness of the incense that blesses this holy place. Can you locate yourself in time, Christian, as you sit in that pew praying as your ancestors have done for two millennia and as the saints do now in heaven with the angels besides them? Or are you both in time and, etern and touching eternity? Here's the bottom line. Through emotional highs and good times, though emotional times and good emotional highs and good times aren't the purpose of the sacrifice. You will emotionally take from the mass what you bring to it. And the more you understand the mass, its sacred purpose, its history, and most of all, the more you pray the mass, the more you will get out of it emotionally. Everyone has bad days, days that are sick, tired, distracted, easily bored, or just not in the mood to be at mass, and that's okay. But it remains true that these challenges are problems with you, not the mass. 
And it remains true that the Mass is not about us, but about honoring, glorifying, beseeching, and appeasing God, and offering to him his Son. I imagine our Israelite ancestors didn't find the incessant slaying of lambs and red heifers entertaining after a thousand years or so. Please, for the love of all that is holy, study this issue and then fight for the traditional mass. Support traditional orders which train priests in orthodoxy and ask the ordinary of your diocese to support the traditional mass in your diocese. And no matter what, if your parish is filled with dissidents, if its priests and catechists water down Catholic teaching, if your pastor abuses even the rubrics of the Novus Ordo, if he is soft on sin, do not support that parish and tell your priest and bishop why. Support the church as is your duty, but do it in a way that does not hurt the church. Give your tithe to Orthodox, fully traditional priests, parishes, orders, missions, and apostolates. And as a conclusion here, for those who are new to tradition, there are two main types of Latin masses, low and high, and there are different sorts of high masses. Low masses are misa privata. The priest isn't assisted. No part of the mass is sung, but hymns may be sung as priests enter and exits, by the, as the priest enters and exits, and during the offertory or communion. Incense isn't used. Only two candles are lit. The low mass is usually seen for daily masses, but it's sometimes offered on Sundays too. It's a much quieter, much less impressive affair than the High Mass, but even it is more dignified and reverent than the Novus Ordo. A High Mass, or Misa Cantata, the celebrant is not assisted by a deacon or subdeacon. Some parts of the Mass are chanted or said aloud. All sung parts of the Mass are sung by the choir or a cantor. Incense may be used. Six candles are lit. This is likely the most common, common Sunday Masses offered by most traditional priests. Solemn High Mass. Misa Solemnis. Celebrant is assisted by a deacon and subdeacon. All parts of the Mass that are said aloud are chanted. All sung parts of the Mass are sung by a choir. Incense is used. Six candles are lit. Pontifical High Mass. Celebrated by a bishop. In addition to the six candles which are lit, another candle is lit to symbolize the bishop's office. A Mass offered by the Pope, the Bishop of Rome, is a pontifical High Mass called a Papal Mass. The Misa Cantata and Misa Solemnis are the silver and gold, respectively, of Sunday Masses. Don't be too disappointed if only the low Mass is available to you. But do know that there's much better out there, and you ain't seen nothing yet if the low Mass is all you have to attend for the time being. You might also encounter traditional Masses offered according to the rites of various religious orders, such as the Dominican Rite. Let us conclude, friends, by mentioning Helping Autism Through Learning and Outreach, located on the web at halo-soma.org, and also episode 277 of the Our Lady of Fatima podcast, in which I discuss RPM, Rapid Prompting Method, which with my niece and my sister, this is a system of communication for non-speakers. We want to get the word out there to as many people as possible. So that's halo-soma.org and episode 277 of the Our Lady of Fatima podcast because communication is a human right. Let's pray now for help and for healing for non-speaking friends and family members. Almighty and eternal God, healer of those who trust in you through the intercession of St. Raphael Archangel, hear my prayer for non-speakers. In your tender mercy, restore them to spiritual and bodily health that they may give you thanks, praise your name, and proclaim your wondrous love to all. I ask this through Christ, your Son, our Lord. Amen. Prayer of St. Louis de Montfort. Hail, Joseph the just. Wisdom is with you. Blessed are you among all men, and blessed is Jesus, the fruit of Mary, your faithful spouse. 
Holy Joseph, worthy foster father of Jesus Christ, pray for us sinners and obtain divine wisdom for us from God, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. The three Hail Marys in honor of the immaculate purity of Our Lady of Fatima. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum, benedicta tu mulieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc et in mortis nostrae, Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum, benedicta tu mulieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc et in mortis nostrae, Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum, benedicta tu mulieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc et in mortis nostrae, Amen. And a Gloria Patri for a special intention. Gloria Patri et Filio et Spiritui Sancto, sicut erat in principio et nunc et semper et in secula seculorum. Amen. May all the words that I speak be so many arrows dipped in the blood of thy sacred heart, O Jesus, to pierce the hearts of all who hear them with love for thee. Amen. And now to honor Our Lady of Fatima. Sweet heart of Mary, be the salvation of Russia, Spain, Portugal, Europe, the United States of America, Canada, and the whole world. Virgo potens, ora pronobis. Sancti Yosef, terra daimonem, ora pronobis. Sancta Raphael Archangeli, ora pronobis. Inumina Patris et Fili, et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Thank you very kindly, my friends, for listening to episode 496 of the Our Lady of Fatima podcast. In your charity, please share Our Lady's podcast with everyone you know. Follow us on Twitter. The handle is at Fatima Podcast. If you'd be so kind and you think Our Lady's podcast deserves it, Give us a five-star rating and review at Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening to this. Most importantly, please offer up prayers and sacrifices for our Catholic bishops. Goodbye and God love you.